So Phil, you can hop on up. <laughs> Phil is going to be bringing the word this morning. What up? Um, what's up, y'all? I'm, I'm Phil. If I don't know you, my name is Phil Goodwin. Here with my little guy, Finn, the cutest little kid in the world. Uh, my wife is home with uh, our youngest, who's got a snotty nose and a pink eye thing going on. So that's no fun. Um, but she's right there. She's right there. Um, sweet. So I don't have your typical um, Christmas week message. I uh, didn't even plan for that. So uh, I'm, I'm actually going to be talking on um, the spiritual disciplines. Um, who's kind of heard of the spiritual? I mean, everyone's heard of the word discipline, but who kind of is familiar with spiritual disciplines? Or like you would say, I'm kind of, I'm kind of up on that. I'm up on that. That's kind of how I was too. I was like, uh, kind of probably need to learn about these, but I, I don't really know a whole lot about them. So I'm going to, I actually, it, it came, a, I got an email from a buddy who's doing this faith walking course where he had attached this chapter of this book. Um, thought it was super cool. Um, chapter. And I was like, what book did this come from? Because it was just kind of like a random attachment. Ended up finding this book called The Spirit of the Disciplines that really has gotten me thinking a lot more about spiritual disciplines, what they are, um, what they're for, you know, why do them, you know, are they for us, you know, are they for spiritual giants, what's the deal? So, um, so I wanted to kind of talk about that. Um, and them being like a means of God's grace and kind of, um, well, I'll talk a little bit more and expound on that kind of as we go. Um, my wife and I have a, a heart for, uh, for the Jewish people specifically. A lot of people feel calls to certain types of people groups around the world. Um, we feel a, a big call in our life uh, to the nation of Israel. I still don't really know what it means uh, that we have a call for that nation, but um, the Lord's like highlighted many things over the years uh, about the nation, about the people of Israel, um, about our role in being grafted into their uh, all, all, the, the olive tree that Paul talks about, this cultivated olive tree, uh, all the promises that Israel has, we get to inherit those. We're part of the commonwealth of Israel now uh, in the spirit. So everybody stand up. This is just a fun thing to do. I, uh, I have to get some Hebrew in here because uh, I think it's really fun to do. Um, this is some transliteration of the Shema. Who's heard of the Shema? Have I heard of the Shema? Sweet. Um, so the Shema is, uh, is something that Jesus probably said one, two, maybe even three times a day. Uh, it was a traditional thing that all um, Jews did in his day, probably still today, if you come across an Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox Jewish person, you'll find them probably doing the Shema when they wake up, uh, maybe mid-afternoon, and then when they go to bed. Um, and it's basically just this passage out of Deuteronomy 6, uh, where the Lord uh, has them proclaim this. Uh, and they just kind of took it on as a, a daily exercise. So we're going to do it together. I'll, I'll say a line, then you guys can repeat it, because I know, even though it's a transliteration, it's a little bit hard to read. Um, but you'll get to get some in, which will be really fun. Uh, so the Shema, it says, Shema Yisrael. Ad oh, uh oh. Now you just have to repeat. Oh, Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Eloecha. Yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good. Bechol levacha. Uvechol navshecha. Uvechol meodecha. We'll say this together. This is what you just said. Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord, we'll read it all together. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You guys can sit down. Thank you guys for doing that with me. It's just like a good way to, man, just remember who the Lord is. I, I substituted out the Lord alone. If you read it in uh, most translations, we'll say the Lord is one. The word in Hebrew is echad. And the echad is, is not a, it's not like a, a, a numero uno. It's not like a number one. It's like a collective one. So like a family would be echad. So like your family of two, three, four, five, you're, you're all echad, you're one family. In the same way that God is one, he is three in one. So there's a different Hebrew word actually for the numeric number one, and it's not echad. So just for fun. So the, the, the idea is that the Lord is the only God, is the idea of the Shema. So uh, fun fact, this is kind of a Christmas fact. So I'll give, I'll give a little Christmas thing, because I'm, I'm not going Christmas on this. So, um, so everybody knows where, where Jesus was born, right? I mean, the Christmas story. Bethlehem. Does anyone know the Hebrew word for Bethlehem? It's like a, it's like a two-word combination. It's Beit Lechem. Beit in Hebrew means house. Lechem means bread. So the bread of life was born in the house of bread. Kind of cool of God to do that. You could say he was bread of life born in Bakeryville. It's kind of a fun, um, I just think it's fun. It's kind of Christmassy, right? My mom makes challah every year for, for Christmas. Like she like gives them away as presents. It's like I like love getting a loaf of challah. Bread, it's bread. It's like it's like a it's like a kind of a Jewish. I'm actually not Jewish, by the way. Everybody's like, oh, this guy is kind of Jewish. I'm not Jewish. I, um, to my knowledge, I just found a lot of these things really enriching for me as I learned them. A lot of the Hebrew roots of the faith um, have been super enriching. And as I find out these things, like these hidden treasures in the Hebrew language, like Beit Lechem, like. Jesus was born in the house of bread. There's like so many of these things like littered throughout all the language. So anyway, just catch that. Just throw it. Okay, so <clears throat> spiritual disciplines. Um, so I want you guys to think of your favorite athlete uh, or at least the most talented one you've ever heard of. I'm not like super enough. I mean, I don't really know a whole lot of sport stuff. So, you know, I know Michael Jordan is. Most people know who Michael Jordan is. Um, so or the most talented uh, athlete you've ever heard of. So regardless of the sport, uh, we all know that they didn't achieve their level of excellence uh, all of a sudden, or that those skills like just come when they need it in a game. These are things that they, they chose a lifestyle to prepare for, and they chose that lifestyle of preparation uh, of their mind and their body um, to get ready for those big game moments. So when those moments come, they're prepared, and they've developed a sort of muscle memory of their mind and body. So um, just... Just want you guys to get in the mentality of uh, thinking about athletics. Um, so before we, I get too deep into spiritual disciplines, um, I do want to give some fundamentals because uh, it can get a little. Uh, for me, I'm I'm a um, tend to be a little bit of a perfectionist. Actually, uh, clinically diagnosed OCD, so I can get a little intense with the details. Um, and get a little legalistic at times. And so it's always good um, for me to have a reminder of, of the basics, the fundamentals of the faith. Um, so before we even get into disciplines, we are saved by grace through faith alone, not because we deserve it. Um, his grace is his basis of acceptance of us. So we're on the team, if you will, when we're talking about athletics. We're, we're on the team because of what God's done. That's his work, not our work. Um, and I was thinking about this when somebody was singing some of these songs this morning. I was like, you know, I just want to like go back to a scripture in Jeremiah 
that I like to um, kind of remember every, every week I kind of think about this scripture. It's Jeremiah 31, um, verse 33. It says, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And this is my favorite part. Um, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. So it's like not even, not even does he, it's not even like they're, he's, he doesn't even bring them up anymore, right? By his grace, there's no, God doesn't even bring up our sin anymore. This is the, the beauty of the blood of Jesus completely gone east as far as east is from west another scripture says he doesn't even bring it up but what grace does not mean is that sufficient strength and insight will be automatically infused uh, into uh, our being in the moment of need during a game if you will so we can't read the sermon on the mount and expect well, i'm just going to be able to easily hate, uh, love my enemies all the time i'm going to easily feel blessed and full of joy when i'm persecuted so something that we're, we learn over time through discipline as we study the scriptures. We're going to go into the disciplines. But the idea is that there totally are moments where the Lord will supernaturally show up in a moment and we'll like be able to hit a 95-mile-an-hour fastball in the Spirit, so to say. Right? There is uh, in Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes, they can speak these languages of all these foreign nations that were there. And they'd never learned these languages. right? Supernatural, miraculous. Amazing. So there are times when these totally, it totally occurs. God will break through. He'll do something that's like, wow, I don't know how I just hit that ball over the fence. I've never hit a baseball in my life. Kind of moments in the spirit. But those are, those are kind of more the exception and not the rule. So the rule just being training ourselves and being diligent in the disciplines, which we're going to talk about. So back to the athlete. So an athlete who expects to excel without adequate, adequate training and practice is ridiculous. Agree? We wouldn't expect someone to step into a professional baseball game and just hit a 95-mile-an-hour fastball over the fence. Um, so the kind of question that can I ask myself is, do I expect growing in godliness to be that different than, just, than, than a training of some kind? And it's not a foreign aspect in Scripture. We're going to go over some of these where Paul likens kind of our walk uh, in the Spirit to, to athletics and to being an athlete. So the Scripture uh, versus today. Um, when the scriptures uh, were written down, spiritual disciplines were commonplace. Even in the secular world, they had a lot of uh, spiritual, you know, there's a lot of new agey stuff that's coming back today as well. But some of these things were age old practices, some of these disciplines people would do, and they weren't necessarily God centered. They were just kind of this idea of a spiritual discipline. Um, but spiritual disciplines, uh, they're not really talked as uh, explicitly as much in the scriptures as everyone knew what they were already. Um, the Jews were very familiar with spiritual disciplines. Jesus, you know, references fasting um, in the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't know, all his hearers knew what fasting was. It wasn't like some new idea. He says, you know, when you fast, this is how you do it. So it wasn't that he was saying that and everybody was like, what's fasting? You know, it was something that everyone was familiar with. Um, so as, uh, you know, for me, Protestants, you know, and I'm sure a lot of us are in this boat, we tend to wonder like, well, what could possibly be the point of all these disciplines if it's, if it's not to just like earn merit or maybe forgiveness through self-denial and suffering. That's kind of my natural tendency is to think, well, I must be doing this because I got I to gotta get to some like special place with God. I got to earn something. Um, 
And then kind of in that, we've kind of overlooked the fact that in the scripture, self-denial or the discipline of our natural impulses um, happens to be a central teaching of the New Testament of Jesus, of the Sermon on the Mount, um, and a lot of other places. And here's a, a couple uh, references. So Luke, uh, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. We all know the scripture. We've all heard the scripture lots of times. Um, uh, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and for them was raised again. So that it's all over the place, this idea of surrendering ourselves, our own natural impulses, our own desires for his and get, taking on his. So the idea of, if you guys, uh, you know, Jesus talks about having an easy yoke and a light burden. I don't know how many of you guys have read that scripture, but then you're like, oh, I, I read, I keep going back to the Sermon on the Mount because it's some of the most fundamental elementary kind of principles that he talks about, where he kind of re, he takes everything up to a higher standard, right? Um, it used to be don't murder. Jesus said, well, if you're angry, he likens anger at your brother to murder. You know, go to them, talk to them because you're, you're liable to judgment just for harboring all this anger. Or used to be committing adultery was bad, but lust was not really talked about in the Old Testament as much, but Jesus is like, hey, lust is actually the same thing as adultery. Um, so you, you, can, you get this like step up. And, uh, but then later in Matthew, he says, well, but my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I'm like, man, you just said, like what you just said was kind of felt a little heavy. Like I don't, it feels a little bit like it might be burdensome to try and keep all those things. That's pretty tough. So how did Jesus intend for us to live? Like the Sermon on the Mount, I think the easy way to spiritualize is, well, that that's the call he gives us. We're not actually meant to like be that, you know, holy. We're not really called that level of holiness. He's just showing us we can't do it. There's half truth in that. We can't do it by ourselves. But he is calling us to a level of holiness that the world doesn't recognize, you know, that we look at and go, that looks crazy. But how do we access and grow in that holiness? And to the spiritual disciplines. So some foundations. This is the goal of spiritual disciplines. Y'all, full enjoyment of active love of God and humankind in all realms of everyday existence. Side note, I'm not like a, I'm not a, I'm very much a novice spiritual disciplines. I'm still like every day right now, recently I've been studying all these and I was like, God, I feel weird even like teaching on spiritual disciplines because I get that scripture in my head. that's like, you're going to be judged more strictly. You know, James talks about those. Don't be eager to teach because you're going to be judged more strictly when you're the teacher. So I'm like, man. Lord, please uh, establish some of these things in me. <clears throat> I want to be. I want to be. Uh, I want to be good at this stuff, man. I want to grow in holiness through the spiritual disciplines. So again, the full enjoyment. This is the goal: full enjoyment of active love of God and humankind in all realms of everyday existence. Where, for like an example or a goal of living out spiritual disciplines as a lifestyle, would be when loving your enemies seems like the only sensible and happy thing to do. Uh, where the hard thing to do is actually to hate your enemy. That would actually be going against what you've trained yourself for in, uh, in these disciplines, in the Holy Spirit. Not the satanic enemy. It's fine to hate them. Okay, Talking about enemies in the flesh, right? Our enemies are not flesh and blood. <clears throat> so a couple things before we talk about what spiritual disciplines are. It's important to know what they're not because it's easy to go sometimes to these places in our minds. Um, Especially, there's a lot of history uh, 
from the time of the first century church. We've been through a lot of stuff in the church, a lot of denominations, Catholicism, Protestantism, Martin Luther taking people out with the 90, 99 theses. I'm not super big history buff. But, um, you know, there was kind of a big swing the other direction, right? Over time, we've come to kind of, I know I have, I've come to kind of like, kind of push the spiritual disciplines. It's kind of like, those aren't, it's kind of more for the people who need to be like, they're, they're trying to be like real, real holy. It's like, this is, this is like the call that God gives us. So what they're not, okay? They're not engaged in to earn merit or forgiveness through self-denial or suffering, which is what happened a lot in the Middle Ages. Some of the monastery, uh, the, you got the monastic period where there's monasteries started popping up. Guys would kind of practice spiritual disciplines to an extreme that Jesus never practiced. Okay, they were starting to get into like whipping themselves and all kinds, just for the sake of punishment because they were trying to earn something, you know? This is not what we're talking about, okay? They're not expressions of fear or hatred of the body or of the material world, which is what kind of in history has sort of, they've been taken to those extremes. They're not attempts to manipulate or impress God or others. Okay, they don't, there's no manipulation with the spiritual disciplines. And they're not an end in themselves. They're, they're meant to lead us somewhere else, right? <clears throat> they're not meant to just be something we get good at just for the sake of we're good at being disciplined. It's like not, that doesn't make any sense, okay? Here's what they are. They're activities undertaken to bring us uh, into more effective cooperation with Jesus, with Christ, and his kingdom. Really simply, they're exercises unto godliness. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.7 talks about uh, exercising unto godliness. They're, they're practiced to make us capable of receiving more of his life and power without harm to ourselves and others. So you might say spiritual disciplines enable us to handle the blessing of God. Without being disciplined and diligent, try to, try to give a kid who's undisciplined a blessing that, uh, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. Try to give a, a kid the ability to drive who's seven on the highway who hasn't been trained or disciplined in driving. They're gonna cause harm to other people and themselves. The same, it's the same idea um, with some of the, the great these amazing blessings that God wants to give his people. And he wants to give these. He is like waiting to pour them out all the time. Their activities that are in some way self-denying, mean they, meaning they train our natural impulses. So Titus uh, talks about, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So they are in some way self-denying, which is, is quite against the Western feel-good, uh, do-it-feels-good do it, do it kind of uh, culture. Um, this next one might trip some of y'all up if you're uh, ascetic practices. Does anyone know what asceticism is? Ever heard of asceticism? It's got a really bad name for a good reason. Um, I'm try I want to redefine it a little bit. Asceticism was something that came about in a really extreme measure in the monastic period, during the period of the monasteries, and these monks and things that would, like I mentioned, like the whipping themselves, they would, even some of their superiors would like whip them, and, and it was all like welcomed as like, a, this is going to make me more holy, which became known uh, kind of in Protestantism as asceticism. Asceticism, though, has been around a lot longer than that, and it didn't used to be like that. Asceticism was something that was a, it was a secular idea as well. It was something that a lot of the ancient philosophers like Plato and some of these guys um, talked about. And so I'm thinking about asceticism from more of a classical perspective. And so this is how 
I'm trying to re, you know, reformat this in my own mind. So I want to define ascetic practices as disciplined efforts to attain an end which cannot be attained without giving up many things often considered desirable and even normal, um, the, or the adaptation of suitable means to obviously more valuable ends. So the idea isn't that I'm just doing these things for the sake of them. I'm not just self-denying for self-denying sake. Right? The idea is that they are a means to attain something greater and more valuable than you know, what, would, what would otherwise be. Same, same as an athlete. Go back to the athletic example. I can't expect... An athlete is going to forego many things that are perfectly fine, perfectly normal, nothing bad in and of themselves, but there's better that they're, they're pursuing something greater, something better, which means they have to forego uh, something that most people wouldn't because they have a goal that's, um, that's further reaching. So if none of you have heard of asceticism, that's great. I'm not having to like rethink, re rewire your brain. But for me, this was something I'd heard of asceticism, and I was like, I'm really, huh. but as I kind of thought more and read about the, the classical idea of it, it made a lot more sense. This, is, um, this was very very normal um, way of life and nothing crazy extreme there. Spiritual disciplines are a means of grace that the Holy Spirit uses to conform us more and more to the image of Jesus. So they're God-ordained practices that God uses to grow us in godliness. This is kind of where I wanted to get to. They're, they're a means of walking in grace. So analogies. So just to kind of give you guys some, some parable type things. So they're kind of like, spiritual disciplines are kind of like carved out trails in the wilderness. All right, they, they help us get to a destination. They keep us from getting lost. Our, our end isn't to be really good at walking the trails. It's to get where we're going, right? It's to get to the destination. Or say you're digging for treasure, because you know we all dig for lots of treasure. Um, <clears throat> say you're, you're digging for treasure. Uh, we use a shovel to dig for the treasure, right? We don't use the shovel or become skilled with the shovel for the sake of digging holes. Okay, there's, there's, like, there's a goal in mind and the reason why we're, why we're doing this. It's, it's a means. Uh, it's, not, it's not the end in itself. So these are just things that God has ordained as ways to grow in godliness, very simply. You guys tracking so far? Am I going too fast? I know it's kind of a... I know y'all are expecting a Christmas message. <laughs> so, we ain't, we ain't there, Sorry. So what do they do? What do spiritual disciplines do? Why? What, what does it mean to, uh, what's, what's part of this like walking in holiness? So spiritual disciplines implant in us a readiness and an ability to interact with God and our surroundings in a way that's not directly under our control. I think about, uh, I mean, again, it's, it's just easy to go back to sports, but um, you're, you're training all this muscle memory and mental memory in you to respond in a situation that you're not expecting to happen, but because of your training, or you can think about it in military, you are responding because of your training in a way you don't, you don't have to think about it because you've, you've trained yourself to do it um, for those moments that kind of come out of nowhere. So it's like spending consistent time blessing and praying for those who curse me. Uh, over time, it only becomes natural, even easy, for me to love my enemies, like we talked about earlier. That's kind of the practical outwalking of that. Um, it becomes harder to hate them. The mark of a disciplined person is that they are able to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done, which I think is the most, like, one of the coolest things when you, when you notice someone who's disciplined, you're like, oh, dude, when that thing came up, they were, like, the first to, 
they were ready. They stepped up. They did it. Uh, you know, it's like if I'd only invested the time, I would have been ready for that. Um, just the person that, yeah, they get it done when it needs to be done. I think about, again, athletics and military are kind of like the two big things to me that I think about. Um, so again, in terms of athletics, go back to the scripture. Um, Paul says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will, that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Okay, this is one way that uh, asceticism can get taken to a bad extreme. Paul is not being uh, literal. This is hyperbole. But you can see how someone would take strike a blow to my body to make it my slave. Could easily become something a little bit uh, too much. But this is, this is the idea. We go through strict training, and we make our body our slave. Our, our body doesn't rule us. We rule our body. Our spirit rules our body. The Word of God, we want our, the Word of God to dictate how we move and act. That's the idea here. So what are they? Classic spiritual disciplines. These have been around for a while. Um... These aren't, it's not an exhaustive list. I just kind of wanted to give uh, a few, you know, easy, hey, th these are spiritual disciplines. Many of these you'll have heard of before. Um, I'm going to kind of give like small definitions for each one. And, but really it's, it's, a, uh, it's something that you have to kind of seek the Lord and, and determine for yourself what, what things for me in this season or for my lifestyle, what am I wired to need? You know, what, what discipline am I, am I going to need to walk out? and get to the maturity level. Um, that's kind of really the idea. Spiritual disciplines mature you um, in the spirit. So what, what, what am I in need of? Uh, the book that I was kind of reading uh, recently and all these, it breaks them down in like two different categories, which I, I really like. Um, some disciplines of abstinence where you're abstaining from something and other ones of engagement. So one makes way for the other. So they, they kind of work in tandem. So a few of these uh, disciplines of abstinence just kind of give you guys some ideas. So solitude would be an example of a discipline of abstinence. I'm abstaining from human interaction, and I'm choosing to be alone with God by myself, which can be uncomfortable. But it's a discipline. Silence, abstaining from sounds, noise, music, words, which is uh, most of us have never experienced true silence before. We experience things a little quieter. But we, I mean, I, I've never experienced like true silence. The only place I actually know that you can get true silence is like the desert, but I don't think I'm going to be able to go there anytime soon. But <clears throat> nonetheless, we want to practice the best we can silence where we're, we're all we're, we're, we're not even talking. We're just listening. We're sitting with God. And a lot of times solitude and silence, those, those go hand in hand. I think one quote that I, that I saw is that silence uh, makes way for solitude. Um, I guess it could work the other way around as well. Um, Fasting. We talked about fasting a little bit earlier, but abstaining from food. I'm, I'm specifically talking about the fasting in terms of abstaining from a food, sometimes drink. Um, it could be another uh, spiritual discipline to fast social media, or there's other things in our kind of world today that would probably not be bad ideas to fast. But in this specific instance, 
fasting from food in some capacity. Frugality. This is one that I was like, huh. This isn't, uh, this isn't saying to choose poverty. The idea here is that a discipline of frugality would be abstaining from using our resources in a way that would just, just alone just gratify our hunger for status, luxury, uh, or glamour. Uh, chastity, abstaining from engaging our sexual desires. Secrecy, which I thought was a really cool uh, discipline of abstinence. Abstaining from causing our good deeds and qualities to be known. One of the biggest things about the, the dis discipline of secrecy is that you become okay with being misunderstood, which I thought was a very uh, good thing to practice. Jesus was okay to be misunderstood. He was misunderstood so much that they killed him, and he didn't try to fix their misunderstandings, which is an extremely hard thing to do as a human, to not try to say, well, you don't get it. I'm trying to help you understand. This is what I mean by when I said this. And, you know, it's uncomfortable to uh, maintain just that kind of secrecy with the Lord. Sacrifice, abstaining from the possession or enjoyment of what is necessary for our living. Different than frugality. Frugality is kind of about things that are superfluous anyway. That's just, you know, in, like kind of in some ways overindulgence, but not gluttony, just kind of like stuff that's superfluous. But this is kind of more like necessary for living. Abstaining from the security of meeting our own needs of what's, what's in our hands, and it's just a total abandonment to God. So, disciplines of abstinence, just to give you a quick, quick intro there. So the disciplines of abstinence must be counterbalanced and supplemented by the disciplines of engagement. Just having some of these former disciplines where you don't do something, they have to be replaced with something that you do do. Does that make sense? <clears throat> Sorry, that's the three-year-old in me. Oh, yeah. um, the disciplines of abstinence counteract tendencies uh, to sins of commission whereas the disciplines of engagement counteract tendencies of sins of omission. So one makes way for the other. Disciplines of abstinence make way for those of engagement. For example, prayer. All familiar with prayer, engaging in conversation with God. Study, uh, engaging with the written and spoken word of God. This is a quote that I found that I thought was, I thought was really good. I was like, that's so true. Mystics without study are only spiritual romantics who want relationship without effort. I thought that was a really, God is a mystical God. He's supernatural. But not having his word as a foundation, then we just become kind of like hopeless romantics who want relationship with no effort. Which I, thought, I was like, man, that's, that's good. I need some study. Uh, worship, engaging ourselves with ascribing worth to God. Celebration, which a lot of times goes hand in hand with worship. Engaging in dwelling on the greatness of God is shown in his goodness to us specifically. It's enjoying ourselves and our life and our world in conjunction with our faith. For example, the Sabbath. You guys know that Jesus had a lot of confrontations with the Pharisees about the Sabbath day. Um, they constantly thought he was breaking the rules on the Sabbath. And Jesus constantly was like, no, I'm not. Um, human need is, is important because the, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gift. So the Sabbath is an example of celebration. It's something that, since starting to study um, some of these disciplines we're trying to do in our family, it's, a, it's an easy one to choose. It's hard to practice it because it's really hard to not work in some capacity. And I don't mean getting legalistic. I just mean like me checking my work email and responding to people or um, even on the social media side. I do design for a living, so it's, it, it would be easy for me to tuck a lot uh, 
all the time. So the, the Sabbath, or what we, we uh, in our house call it the Shabbat, which is the Hebrew word for Sabbath, but we've been practicing Shabbat. Um, just take a break from my you know, work responsibilities and focus on my family, focus on celebrating what God's given us. This is a, this is a gift. It's a, it's a rest day. It's a gift. Celebration. But it's hard getting ready for it. That's the discipline part. Um, service. So engaging our goods and strength in the active promotion of the good of others and the causes of God in our world. Service, this is a quote that I heard I thought was really good. Service is the high road to freedom from bondage to other people. It doesn't seem like it would be, but it's, it's paradoxically serving others is actually the high road uh, from being in bondage to them. So oh, that was really good. Fellowship. It's a discipline of engagement, engaging in common activities of worship, study, prayer, celebration, and service with other disciples of Christ. And confession, which happens in the context of fellowship, uh, engaging and entrusting others um, to know our deepest weaknesses and failures. And it makes a way for true deep fellowship. Confession is what keeps us from being surface level a lot of times. Um, other examples, we talked about uh, the kind of abstaining from social media thing. Um, scripture memor memorization would be a discipline that I'm horrible at. want to be able to do that more. Journaling, something I'm trying to get back into again. Just being able to see my thoughts written on paper. Super good for me. These are, these are again, just kind of examples that I'm looking at that aren't necessarily uh, explicitly in the scriptures. There was no social media uh, in 4 BC. Uh, vigil. Um, which is like, that was kind of a new one that I heard, uh, which is like basically watching. Vigil is kind of uh, foregoing sleep to seek the Lord. That's like what vigil is. So when Jesus, the night before he was uh, betrayed, the night he was betrayed, what he did in the garden, that was like a vigil. And he asked the disciples, like, can you just stay with me and pray? You know, I'm troubled. I'm, I'm going to pray. I need you guys to be up with me for, for an hour. And uh, what would have happened if the disciples had been able to do that? They weren't disciplined enough to be able to do that commandment that Jesus was asking or that request to stay up with him and, and pray. Do you think that if they had had the, the if they had invested in the, the time and the training to practice those sorts of disciplines that when Jesus was betrayed, do you think they would have deserted him? I don't know. I guess no one will ever know the answer to that question. But it's the idea that, like, man, with, with training and with discipline, that's how you can do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Um, so even examples that aren't necessarily in Scripture could nonetheless be effective for us. So some fuel for discipline. I'm almost done, guys. You guys are hanging with me good. How am I doing? I'm normally pretty short, so I kind of talk fast. Am I, you, am I talking too fast? Are you guys okay? Okay. All right. My wife's not here to tell me, like, hey, slow down. Slow down. I pretty much always look. I'm like, am I wrong? She texted me beforehand. Just, just go slow and, and don't clear your throat a lot. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> but I'm chewing gum. That's probably a total no-no for. Um, so some fuel for discipline. So this is uh, <laughs> this is from the scriptures. It says by His divine power, I think it's from Second Peter. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. He's given us all the, all the tools. We have received all of this by coming to know Him the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises. Promises are key. 
These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by evil desires. In view of all this, every effort to respond to God's promises so that we do have a, we do have a responsibility, right? We, I, I like to, it, it helps me to remember that we're not, we don't pursue holiness in the Lord to get anything, no, no merit. We don't, we're not trying to earn salvation. We're doing it because he's given us those things already. So that's just a good thing to keep in mind. We do all this because of his promises that we receive by faith. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance, patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So it's just a, it's a, it's understood. You're doing this because you've been cleansed. This is this is the pursuit of holiness and godliness that we're expected to pursue. This isn't for the giants, spiritual giants. This is like for the everyday layman, laywoman. Um. So it's just good to to keep that in mind. The fuel is his, are his promises. The stuff that and there, there are so many. I didn't I didn't think to list them in here, but there's too many. Um, majorly, though, that he has pursued us to the ends of the universe to come here in the flesh, which we're celebrating. Over, I'm tying into Christmas. Um, which we're able to, which we're celebrating is the ultimate, it's the ultimate, like, reason we pursue holiness is because he pursued us first. So he's given us everything we need for living a godly life. Which, when I read that, I'm like, this is practical behavior. Godly life is, is practical behavior. It's, it's another thing we're kind of guilty of sometimes in Protestantism, sometimes in kind of more charismatic circles of kind of separating kind of body, spirit, and mind or heart. We kind of like divide them all up. But God didn't make them all separate. They're, they're, they're intertwined. You can't, you can't divide them. One always affects the other, right? So we like to say, uh, I think Travis says a lot that um, you're... I'm going to totally butcher this. Basically, your, your physical actions, they influence your spirit. So was, oh, spirit, it was like some physical something being spiritual breakthrough. Can somebody, somebody remember what this is? Y'all can totally talk and shout out at me and not offended. Physical engagement brings spiritual breakthrough. Okay, because these things are intertwined. They can't be, they're, they're inseparable. Your body, your spirit, your mind, your heart. So he has given us everything we need for godly life. It's practical behavior. However, this does not mean that we're all of a sudden godly in character, um, that we ourselves are godly. Godliness is, is something we have to train, choose, choose to pursue. His promises are the fuel for growth and for endeavoring to be spiritually disciplined. They enable us to share in his divine nature and escape corruption. With his promises as fuel by faith, we can add to our faith everything that Peter talked about, moral excellence, and then knowledge and self-control. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. We have a part, though. We have a part to play. All these things, by the way, the means of grace idea, they're all grace. This is all, these are carved trails. God carved the trails. God gives us the energy to walk the trails. God sets the destination. This is like all him, right? None of this stuff is earning anything with him. 
This is all by faith. This is all his grace. This is all his fruit. Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, long-suffering, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. So if we keep growing like this, we'll be productive with what we know about Jesus. We'll be productive with the gospel more so if we practice these things. So to not grow means we've forgotten that we've been cleansed. We talked about. So which spiritual disciplines are central for you? Uh, well, this can be determined uh, by the chief sins of commission and omission that entice you or threaten you from day to day. So um, for a lot of us, they're going to be similar. Um, a lot of those classical spiritual disciplines are super good for anybody. They've been, people have been doing them for thousands of years, the Lord's people. But I wanted to just kind of take a few minutes at the end um, here, just as I'm closing up. Um, to like write down on your phone or on your pad, whatever you, wherever you write, if you write or if you type, um, one or two disciplines that you feel you might want to start putting into practice this week. Um, just I, the whole, this whole thing is a, this is a practical sermon. Like, it's just choose something to, to do. You know, just start walking in some. Choose a discipline to try. This is an experimental thing too. Uh, this is something that we just, we pick up one, try it out, see what happens. But you have to stick with it. A discipline is something that you, you don't try once. You, you stay with it. And you watch the stuff that God does. And he, this is how we access uh, the growth that he has for us. So, Sam, do you have a song you could just put on for like, just a song? If you guys want to pray and think about this with the Lord for a minute. I really, I really want you guys to leave with something you can do. You can actually act on uh, that can make some change uh, in your life, something you can see the Lord do something really cool. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll just take a minute, and, uh, and then we'll be done. Thank you, guys. Jesus, thank you for grace. Thank you that you are so full of desire for us. Thank you for your pursuit of us. Thank you for coming, for tabernacling with us, for becoming a man in the flesh so you could relate to us on every level. Thank you for going before us, that you have done all these things, Lord. You've, you've already showed us how to do them. You've showed us how to live a lifestyle of total abandonment to the Father. God, I pray that you would just give us a little bit today. Um, a little bit more fuel today to pursue you, to pursue your ways, to pursue Jesus the way that you lived. Lord, that we could reach the world around us, that we could be more productive in the knowledge that we have uh, of you. Be more productive with the gospel. Lord, make us, uh, make us harvesters to go into the fields. Lord, the harvest is ripe. The laborers are few. Lord, make us laborers, Lord. Prepare us for what's coming. Lord, this is all about, you have big things coming for America and for the world. There's huge turning to you coming our way. There's huge revival coming. Lord, we want to be at a place of maturity, Lord, to be able to, to steward what you're doing. We want to be able to handle the blessings, Lord, that you have for us, that you want to give us these greater blessings, Lord, these greater measures of power. We want to be able to have them without being corrupted by them. Lord, we want to be able to walk uh, in these things. 
Lord, but we need to be disciplined, God. We need you to train us, to prepare us, Lord. So I just bless you, Jesus. Thank you that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. We love you, Lord. Thank you for coming.